All right. So um, before we get into uh, our study in the Revelation for tonight, let me say that I've just come from a, an elders meeting, and we are we are uh, resuming everything uh, as normal in the normal schedule, beginning in June. Keep that in mind. So we'll have, thank God in heaven. We'll have a we'll have a, uh, a church calendar and a schedule. Some things had to be canceled, and you'll hear more about that because of the nature of what had happened. Uh, some of the events in June and July have been canceled, or they are being rearranged. I'll put it that way. So you'll hear more about that. But we'll get you an updated calendar here pretty quick as quickly as possible with all of that in mind. And thank God in heaven, everything will go back to normal uh, for us in our schedule. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, plus uh, age-related activities, all of those things will resume as normal in uh, June. Okay, so uh, that's a special announcement that you need to, uh, to remember. Now, we've come into Revelation Chapter 5, we've come to verse 8. This is a great worship service in heaven. Uh, The Lamb is worthy to take the scroll, and he he has taken the scroll from the hand that has been extended from the throne of the Godhead, and... He will redeem everything. He will give to us what we have never been able to give to ourselves. And all of, all of sin will be, uh, the, 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 the sinful ways of the, of the world and the earth dwellers, as I call them, uh, will be judged. The wrath of God will fall on planet earth for seven years. Uh, everything will be corrected in Christ himself. Uh, along with his bride, will establish the rulership of the kingdom on planet Earth for a thousand years. So that's after the tribulation. So we uh, are thankful for the fact that this revealing is given to us. Keep this in mind. The unveiling, the revealing of Jesus is the gift of the Father to the Son. So everything that we see about Jesus, God the Son, is increasing our knowledge of who our great Lord is. The church didn't have this completely until the last book of the Bible, the the completed canon of scripture, and it came by the last of the living apostles, John, and the final appointed thing of the apostles in the person, in this case of John, is to give to us this revelation of the Christ of God, the Messiah. Now, all the way through, God's people understood something about the Messiah, his greatness and how wonderful and how we all have longed through the generations and the ages to see him. But the extent of his dignity, his majesty, his ministry, his power, his authority, all of that is reserved for the church to receive it uh, 
the gift that was given to the son. So all that is given to the church, deposited within the church, and then the church now has a full knowledge and a full unveiling and a full revelation of who Jesus Christ uh, really is. So everything, as I said earlier, everything that we see in the scriptures here um, is giving us a wider, broader, deeper, higher view of the Christ of God. So we're in verse 8. And we're talking about the Lamb, the Lamb who has taken the scroll. Nobody in all of the universe was able or worthy except for the Lamb. And the Lamb has taken the scroll. Of course, that's the Christ of God. He has taken the scroll and he is able and he is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. And that begins in chapter 6. And when he begins to do that, judgment begins to fall rather lightly at first, it seems, if you compare it with what's at the end of the, of the time of judgment. But still it falls. And this judgment crescendos and increases and becomes more horrific with each broken seal. And then at the end of seven seals, with each trumpet that is blown, and with the end of the seventh trumpet that is blown, with each bowl of wrath that is poured out, uh, from heaven until the earth system is absolutely broken and the times of the Gentiles come to an end. The greatest leader that the Gentiles could ever produce who was personified and, in, and well, energized by Satan himself uh, reaches the pinnacle, but he can only go so far. He can never go above the power of a man. So the time of man, the time of the Gentiles, the time of the nations comes to a complete end when Christ defeats the Antichrist and uh, his false prophet. All of that begins in chapter 6. So this is leading up to that. Now, the scroll is the title deed to earth. It is the redemption of, of, of the property that is rightly Christ's and, and it belongs to Christ and his joint heirs, namely the church, his people, his elect, so he pays the price to redeem planet Earth and to kick out the invader, to kick out the usurper, to kick out the, the counterfeit guy who has tried to claim ownership of planet Earth for so long. He is finally put away. All right, so verse 8, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living beings... Those are the cherubim, the very the mighty, the mighty creatures of heaven. These mighty order of angels. There are four of them, unfallen in heaven. And the twenty-four elders. We've already studied that they are representative of the raptured, resurrected church. Fell down before the Lamb. Let me make a statement about that. The cherubim are arguably the highest and most powerful order of angels with the exception of the fact that you have Michael the archangel. But these cherubim are mighty and powerful. 
the one of them who has fallen, who is Satan, is described before his, before his fall in Ezekiel 28 as having been perfect in wisdom and in beauty. Uh, so it tells you how very powerful this order of angels uh, is. But it's powerful, that representative, if you want to say that, the representative of the rest of the ranks and orders of angels, they fall down flat, just like on their faces, uh, before the Lamb. And the 24 elders, representative of, of the raptured, resurrected church at this point, fall down uh, before the Lamb. Now, what does that say to us? That tells us that the Lamb is none other than God the Son. He is deity. The only one whom the angels would worship is the Christ of God, is God himself. So God and the uh, uh, God the Son, the second of the Trinity, is there. He appears as a lamb because it is the lamb who was who died. It is the lamb who paid the price to redeem, to redeem what is on that title deed, that scroll. Each having a heart. Now let me say here, uh, Econtes Ekestas. Uh, uh, the verb followed by an adjective here in the in the construct of the Greek strongly favors the interpretation that at this point the twenty four elders are the ones who are being talked about. The elders and the four living beings, the cherubim, fell down before the Lamb. But it doesn't seem at this point that the four cherubim would have a harp, nor would they have the golden bowls of incense. Each having a harp. Let me talk about a harp for just a minute. The harp is an Old Testament instrument of, uh, of worship, of praise. It is used in the Old Testament by the people of God uh, to offer the highest order of music, the highest kind of music, and to give this, this high worship and praise from heaven to Almighty God. So the 24 elders at this point have each have a harp. You see the Old Testament priesthood and the musicians in the Old Testament. Uh, you, they have the, a psalter and a harp or a lyre, uh, a stringed instrument. So it is an instrument of high praise and worship. But... There is a deeper uh, discussion about the harp in, uh, in the uh, Old Testament. The harp also was used to identify the spirit of prophecy. On many occasions in the Old Testament, whenever a prophet would prophesy, a harp was being played. Uh, uh, Elisha, for example, called for a, a minstrel to, to play when he prophesied. So it's also indicative of, uh, of an announcement or, or something that parallels prophecy. Now let's add the next phrase to it and we get a fuller understanding of what's happening here. So in my view, the grammar, the construct favors the, the, the 24 elders as the ones having the harp. And then golden bowls 
being full of incenses. And that Greek word is in the plural. And the golden bowls are full of incenses. Now let me read the description of what those golden bowls are. Which are the prayers of the saints. There there seems to be an order of angels in heaven. There is a temple in heaven right now. The temple will not be there in the new heaven. But the temple is there right now. And there are seven angels. Chris will call them angel priests. I don't know that there's a priesthood of angels. But they they attend to these golden bowls that are inside the temple in heaven. And these golden bowls are being filled. Now, this apparently is the same thing. And they're being filled with the prayers of the saints. But these are the golden bowls after the seventh trumpet. These are the golden bowls, seven of them, that are poured out from the temple on planet Earth, which completes the judgment of planet Earth at the end of the tribulation. So apparently these these prayers of the saints are weaponized at the close, at the very end of the tribulation when these bowls of wrath are poured out. So these beautiful prayers that are kept, every prayer of every saint of every age, your prayers are never wasted. They are, they are, they are beautifully interpreted and lifted up to God through the work of the Holy Spirit, and it becomes like a sweet-smelling savor in the presence of Almighty God. And so the, the prayers are sweetness, what is, the, what is the end of all ends to our prayer life? Well, our Lord said, pray like this. Your kingdom, let it come. Your will be done. So at the end of it all, we're longing to be in the kingdom with the king. We're longing for our eternal home. We don't belong here. It's a, it's a state of of death and dying. It's it's a state of, of vile evil that we're surrounded with. And we even ourselves, we struggle with uh, these two natures within us. Uh, as Paul said in Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? We, we even struggle with this. So we long then to be in that kingdom. We long for this present age to be done away with. Now this is, this to me is how these prayers are finally placed into the golden bowls of incense, which become bowls of wrath from the temple of heaven. So you have a harp which symbolizes worship and prophecy. Now, what is what, what are the prophetical writings? Well, all of the prophecies are leading us finally to the culmination of the age, Uh, carrying us through the complete ministry of Christ in both his first and second comings. Uh, And so so this is telling us that that all of the prophecies are going to be fulfilled and all of our prayers are going to be answered uh, finally when those bowls are filled, which are the prayers of the saints. Still speaking, and I, I believe this with all my heart, I've studied this from many, many Greek scholars, conservative scholars, and practically all of them agree that this particular phraseology has to agree with the 24 elders and doesn't include the four living beings, the Kedavim. Uh, 
So the so the grammar continues here, and they are singing a new song. Okay, something is about to happen, and things are about to make a a drastic, cataclysmic, unheard of ever before change in God's relationship with man, in uh, in man's dominion, in the dominion of man, and in man's dominion on earth. It's all about to change. And it's, it's all about to fall under the judgment of God. And then finally, the people of God will be placed in the kingdom. So this is a new song. This is a new song talking about what will happen here at this point uh, in the plight of the elect of God. They're singing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals of it because, now this is a good word, esphagis, because you were butchered, slaughtered. It's a violent word. It's more probably, probably most translations will say something like you were slain but it would be you were violently slaughtered. That's 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 what the word means. You are worthy to take the scroll, break the seals, because you were violently slaughtered, and you purchased to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Okay, once again, the language of the Bible teaches election and not universalism. You see the little word there, out of, ek, 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 passes, out of every, out of, out from among. In other words, not all of them, just some of them. You purchased to God by your blood, out from among every tribe, and tongue and people and nation. Now this goes all the way back to the eternal covenant that God the Father had established with God the Son. And God the Son has redeemed his own. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. I will in no wise cast out those who come to me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, John chapter 6. All the way through, the it's the same kind of language all the way through. So Christ died for me and for you if you are in Christ. Out from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. So everywhere, you, you purchased because of your blood, by your blood. You purchased to God. That would be a reference to the Father. You paid for them. God the Father gave them to you. And then things fell. But you loved them and you would redeem them and you would pay the price for them. This is what's said. And that thing is all going to come to a to a to the pinnacle of reality in the tribulation. All that he has done 
for his own. He's already paid the price, and now he's going to take what's his. He's not only going to take his people, but he's going to take the world and the universe that belong to him, and he's going to take it back from the one who tried to steal it from him, namely uh, the old devil. And he paid for it with his violent murder, his violent slaughter. And he purchased it with his blood. And he purchased us out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. And you have made them to our God a kingdom and priests. And they will reign upon the earth. Now let's go back and look at the language. And you have made them. First of all, let's talk about how thrilled John must be. Let's see. When he was on the Isle of Patmos, what the the church was barely 50 or 60 years old. It was suffering. People were being killed for being Christians. They didn't have the internet or telephones or television, so John couldn't have known the state of churches around the Roman Empire. All the apostles were dead, but him, most of them, cruelly killed and martyred uh, because of their preaching of Christ. Increasingly, the Jews are hating the church, and John was a Jew, so he's rejected by his people. You can imagine the state of the church as John could have thought as it was in his day on the Isle of Patmos, an old man wondering how in the world the church could survive. Now he's given this vision at the end of the age and they are coming from everywhere, all over the world. They're coming from everywhere having been redeemed and this is the church. This is the message uh, it's by the message of the gospel of grace. Uh, it's, it's, it's been the work of the church that has worked. And he says, you made them, you have made them. Now, there's no question about autos, them. He doesn't say you have made us. He says you have made them. You have to understand that John is receiving his vision of the consummation, which at the end of the tribulation would include the resurrected Israel, the resurrection of, of righteous Israel at the end, Israel who was saved in the tribulation and enters into the, into the kingdom in their mortal bodies, as well as some Gentiles and the tribulation saints who were not Israel but who belonged to the 70th seven-year period of Israel by the design and purpose of God. So when it comes to the time of the kingdom, uh, we're, we're looking not only at the church, but John also notes here, in my view, by the use of the autosa, but the, the calling the, you have made them, uh, he, he's taking note of the fact that they're Old Testament saints, they're New Testament saints, and they're tribulation saints, and all of us, or of the elect, and has he, Christ, you, have made them uh, to our God a kingdom and priests. And they'll reign upon the earth. 
So we're joint heirs with Christ, but we're also a priesthood. And in that sense, we have direct communion and access to Almighty God. Christ made it that way. So he is the king of kings. We are, we are kings reigning with him upon the earth. That's what he means. Now, verse 11. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and of the living beings, the cherubim, and of the elders. Okay, so we start out with this small circle of worship. The elders, you have the, four, the cherubim, and then you have the elders on their thrones who fall down and worship God the Son. But it doesn't stop there. It expands outward. It's like a concentric uh, generation uh, of praise that goes out from there then to all of the angels. And the voice of many angels around the throne. So you have the cherubim, the 24 elders, and now the myriads of angels uh, around the throne. And the number of them was myriads of myriads. You know, in the Greek text, the highest, this is interesting, the highest number is 10,000. They did not have a word for a million. They didn't have that word. They have a word for a billion or a trillion. They didn't have a word like that. So they had to do things in uh, in units of thousands and tens of thousands. And and when it got more than they could uh, count, it was just tens of thousands of tens of thousands. And the best way to say it is myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. So it's an incomparable, it's, a, it's an unknowable number to John from his perspective, how many angels there were. But as far as he could see, what were they doing? They were voicing their praise. They were voicing their praise. Now look at the next phrase. And they were voicing or saying in a loud voice. I have to make this, I have to say this. Everything about the worship of God, about the worship of God. Now, I'm not talking about the communion with God that Elijah had in the cave or anything. I'm talking about in the corporate public worship of God. Everywhere in the Bible, it's loud. Let that sink in for a minute. Everywhere in the Bible, where there is a corporate worship of God, it's loud. It started out with thunder and lightning, and, and his voice was like the voice of, of many waters. So I, I, I just think that we need to remember that uh, God, God likes it loud. Um. And sometimes it may be so loud that it'll bring tears to our eyes, but we we probably need to agree with God that someday we're going to hear something in heaven that's louder than anything we've ever heard in a time of worship. The voice of innumerable angels. And it says it's in a loud voice. They all said, so, okay, you have no way of counting how many angels there are. 
but every one of them is shouting. And the elders are shouting. The Kedabim are shouting. They're all, they're all shouting. And if they're playing their harps, their harps were turned up as loud as, as they could go. Because this is God that we're worshiping. Saying in a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy, deserving is the Lamb. Worthy. He's the only one who has it. He's the only one who can open those seals and show that the price has been paid and that nobody but him, only he, has claim to the earth and can do with the rebels from Satan all the way down to the least of the of the earth dwellers in the time of the tribulation who would not repent all the way. The, the great and the small, he can do with them what he chooses to do with them because they are his by victory, by conquering everything, and they never worshipped him, never accepted him, rebelled against his rule. And so he cast them, he'll kill them, first of all, when he comes back. They'll drop dead, and then he'll throw their souls into the lake of fire, or into Hades, where there they will be in torment until the second resurrection, the resurrection unto damnation, when he casts them into the lake of fire. And there they'll be tormented day and night forever. So he can do with them what he wants to. He owns the place. He owns everybody that's in it. He's redeemed us. He's paid for his own. And we've always been his with because of his covenant, his agreement with the Father. So he's worthy. He's worthy because he was violently killed. He paid the price to receive the power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So this is the great paean of praise shouted from all the angels, all the unfallen, all of the elect angels the raptured, resurrected saints, the living ones, the cherubim, all in a loud voice. And every creature which is in heaven and upon the earth and under the earth and on the sea and is on the sea and everything in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and might to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb to the ages of the ages. Every creature he says, he says here, 
Uh, let me go back up. On the earth? Well, that's a... Let's just say that on the earth, that's a... That's a gorilla. Under the earth. That's an earthworm. On the sea. Any kind of fish you want. And the point is, everything recognizes the creator and the redemption. You know, in the book of Acts, Peter talked about how it was told in the book of Acts how everything groaned for the refreshing. So everything finally will glorify the one who has purchased, the one who is worthy. And the last phrase of this text here, to the ages astus elonis ton elonum, to the ages of the ages. Well, let's talk about, now, the time of the church is called a stewardship. It's not really called an age. Maybe, maybe from the creation of Adam to the end of the kingdom age would be an age. That might be one age. But the plural is doubled up on here when he talks about eternity. We're, we're only a part. We are a scant part right now of one age. The age of man in his fallen state. We just, that's who we are. But there are ages upon ages upon ages. Each one with a, with a special meaning and a special teaching, a special purpose. It's a glorious thing to think about. We'll learn more about it in the, in the great time to come. So this blessing and honor and glory and, and might is extended by the creation of, of the Almighty God by his creation forever. It's never forgotten. What Christ has done is never forgotten and it is never diminished. Final, final couple of phrases here, final text. And the four living ones kept saying, Amen. So the Caribbean are over here in the Amen corner and they can't stop saying Amen. So it is. So it is. Verily, truly, so it is. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And some, some later texts say, worshipped him who lives uh, unto the, or into or for, into the ages of the ages. But it's enough for me to, to use the older, the oldest texts, manuscripts, and to say, fell down and worshipped, which puts it in the aorist active. And this means, this means that this is a kind of a thing that just goes. 
This is something that is always remembered and can and will always happen. The elders fell down and worshiped. Well, that, uh, that takes care of the Revelation chapter 5. And then, God willing, on Wednesday night, we get into the Revelation 6 and uh, the breaking of the seals. And that's where the action really starts. Uh, so we've we've set the we've set the, the 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 scene and the foundation and the backdrop of who's doing what. Now the demonstration of his power is a further extension of our knowledge of the unveiling, the manifestation, the, the revealing of the Christ of God as he takes care of business via his wrath in the tribulation onto planet earth and reclaims that which is rightfully his that he has purchased all right we'll close in prayer father god in heaven lord we're hoping and believing that this day is very soon when you will catch us away out of this world bring us into the presence of the christ our redeemer and our savior and we can enjoin this very scene about which we've studied. Father, keep us from harm and bless us. Watch over us and protect us even from this sickness that is apparently falling upon the world. We trust you in all things. Oh God, bless our leaders in this nation and give them the direction that is right. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.